Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. Be in 2 Kings 20. And the last time we looked at the title of the message was Trusting the Lord in Times of Tragedy, and today the message is titled The Life and Legacy of King Hezekiah. Um, if we could put up the list of kings, just to give you a brief uh, you know, background. Uh, put, I've done this many times before as we're moving towards the end of, sadly, Israel's history. Um, the, the northern kingdom is done. The Assyrians have already taken it over, and over here, Hezekiah is right he's got a few seven or eight kings from the end unfortunately there was only one more good king josiah and then after his progeny that was it um the babylonians took over the southern kingdom actually pretty sad but we're going to look at hezekiah the bible calls him a godly man and uh we'll check out what the scripture says about him so starting at verse one it says in those days hezekiah was sick and near death and isaiah the prophet who we're covering on sunday The son of Amoz went to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. Not very comforting news. Then he turned his face towards the wall and prayed to the Lord, saying, Remember now, O Lord, I pray, how I have walked before you in truth and with a loyal heart and have done what was good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. And it happened before Isaiah had gone out into the middle court, that the word of the Lord came to him, saying, So Isaiah tells the king the bad news. The king starts weeping, and Isaiah walks out. And then God gets a hold of Isaiah and says, Return and tell Hezekiah, the leader of my people. Thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Surely I will heal you. On the third day you shall go up to the house of the Lord, and I will add to your days fifteen years. I will deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. Then Isaiah said, Take a lump of figs. So they took and laid it on the boil, and he recovered. So this is going to be covered in five parts, and the first part is the miraculous recovery of King Hezekiah. So this happened probably somewhere before 701 B.C., uh, before the Assyrians had laid siege to Jerusalem. We don't know exactly when. We don't really know much of the nature of the illness, but Second Chronicles 32, when you're going through Kings, Chronicles is a good book to parallel with. Second Chronicles 32 said there was a major pride issue with Hezekiah, so God allowed this illness to run its course. And pride is a, it's a nasty thing, and it could manifest itself in many ways. You know, I mean, for the king, if you have ultimate authority, wealth, and power, you know, it's exaggerated. It's magnified. Um, you can see the results of somebody's pride. For the average person, maybe they take themselves too seriously. Maybe they um, are too concerned about their own importance or their own opinion. And maybe it comes out in little ways. You know, pride can... It could be from zero to 100. So Hezekiah probably manifested itself in bigger ways. But God says to him, set your house in order for you shall die. And I think that's kind. I mean, me personally, 
if I had three months to live, I would want to know that I was going to die so I could set my house in order, take care of some things I need to take care of. Hezekiah begs God to deliver him. He faces the wall and weeps bitterly. And that's probably why Isaiah walked out, maybe to give him some dignity. You know, it's just him in this palace and Isaiah and probably sent the guards out. He tells him, you're going to die. And Hezekiah just turns to the wall. He can't look at Isaiah and he just weeps, weeps. He's probably a prayer of repentance because of the pride issue. And maybe he was convicted. He says, remember now, O Lord. And he goes to this um, monologue about, maybe dialogue, about how he was obedient. You know, Lord, I've been obedient. Now, back in the Old Testament, God would give certain blessings for obedience, but obedience obedience didn't necessarily give you long life, but Hezekiah was willing to take a shot uh, on that one. Can you be obedient and prideful at the same time? Sure. So maybe he was obedient, but he also had this pride issue that he was dealing with back and forth. Um, And some people would say, well... Actually, there was a book written. I can't remember the author. I have it in my library. It's called Apparent Bible Contradictions. It's a big book. Um, and there, a lot of them are just silly, the things that people make up. But some would look at this and say, well, if I'm taking the, the uh, character or the point of the polemic, well, is he going to die or is he not going to die? You know, is God confused? The answer is that he was going to die, but repentance changed God's decision. And we see that in the Scripture, too. We see that in the New Testament as well. When we repent, right, we, we change. You know, we cry out to God and say, yes, I, I recognize your way is right. My way was wrong. I've offended you. And I'm going to try to change and live a, you know, a different life, go in a different direction. So Hezekiah, the truth is, he would have died had he not repented. And we still talk about repentance today. Repentance is important. This is also a picture of resurrection because... Um, he goes through this thing with the figs and, and the third day, and we know that Jesus was raised from, for the dead, from the dead on the third, third day. Um, you know, Hezekiah, and maybe this is a type of the resurrection. But it's fascinating because in verse 6, God says, I will defend this city. So not only is he resurrecting the man, but he's also resurrecting Jerusalem. Because Jerusalem was dead too. The Assyrians were going to destroy it. And that's a fact. If God didn't intervene, it would have been dead. So you can see two pictures of resurrection, one with the man and one with the city. Verse 7, he says, take a lump of figs and put it on the boil. Did the figs cure him? Well, I'm sure if God wanted the figs to be magical, they could have. But, um, you know, sometimes there was, a, there was a, an object of a person's faith used in these miracles. Remember Jesus in one particular blind person, Jesus used many methods to heal blind people and deaf people. And sometimes he just said the word, called out demons um, out of the person. But there was one that I just find fascinating. It's actually funny where Jesus spits on the dirt, makes like a mud with his spit and the dirt. And he puts it on the blind guy's eyes and he, he's, he can see. So I, I kind of call this like a, a, a focal point of our faith. The figs were probably a focal point. Um, did he need the figs? No, God could have just done the miracle with his words. But, you know, sometimes when we uh, are going through a difficulty, uh, it affects our emotional health and it could cause our faith to waver. You know, so God was kind of trying to help him out here a little bit. Um, here's a good one. <laughs> Cole and Paul are going to laugh at this one. 
is that the, you know, Calvinisms, the new brand of hyper-Calvinism, they get really tweaked when we have altar calls. It really bothers them because they don't believe in altar calls. They, it's, it's, I'm not going to go through the whole doctrine. Uh, you know, it's like, well, is it the fact that somebody actually walked to the front that saved them? No. It wasn't the legwork. It wasn't being here in this church. Heck, they could have got saved on Saturday, or they could have got saved the first five minutes Sunday morning. Um, and by the time the altar call had come forward, they already accepted Christ in their heart. But walking to the front in an altar call doesn't save us, but it's a focal point of our faith. You know, I can point 20-something years back, and I still remember me walking to the front to receive Jesus. Did I know if it happened on Sunday morning or Saturday night or Friday afternoon? No, I didn't. But it was, a, it was a, an object. It was a focal point of my faith. So you can see this happening in many, many different ways. Now, the boil, uh, I looked up in the Hebrew. Actually, it's translated as well, ulcer. Uh, maybe some type of ulcerative condition. Maybe a, maybe a, um, a, a major slash from battle that it never closed. It never healed. Maybe a, some type of ulcerative condition. Maybe blood loss. Maybe infection. We don't know, but we do know that it wasn't going to be healed on its own. It had to be miraculous. Um, Hezekiah was going to die. Continuing on, verse 11, And Hezekiah said to Isaiah, What is the sign that the Lord will heal me? Well, he just told him to take the figs and do that thing. (laughs) So he asked, Now what's the sign? And that I shall go up to the house of the Lord the third day. It's the third day. And Isaiah said, this is the sign to you from the Lord, that the Lord will do the thing which he has spoken. Shall the shadow go forward 10 degrees or go backward 10 degrees? And Hezekiah answered, it is an easy thing for the shadow to go down 10 degrees. But no, but let the shadow go backward 10 degrees. So Isaiah the prophet cried out to the Lord, and he brought the shadow 10 degrees backward by which it had gone down on the sundial of Ahaz. Okay, was it? In a lot of big cities, they have a, usually a big LED display, and you can see what time it is every day. Okay, well, back then they didn't have that, so they had the sundials. And depending on where the earth was in relationship to the sun, there would be a piece in the center. And some people have them just like uh, folk art or just like an architectural or archaeological piece. But the sundial, the, you know, the sun would hit it. It would be in a fixed place all day long. And depending on where the sun and the earth were in relation to each other, where the shadow cast was that time of the day. Uh, so basically, he wants, he's looking for a sign. And, you know, the figs weren't enough <laughs> for him. But, you know, Gideon did the same thing, remember? Um, people remember the fleece. Gideon did the fleece, or he asked about the fleece, and then he flipped the fleece in, in the other way with the, you know, the wetness on this side or that side. But there was also a third sign. So Gideon was, was weak in his faith, and, and it took three signs for him to finally do what the Lord called him to do. Um, but with the sundial, uh, Hezekiah was saying, well, I guess maybe if you're standing out there long enough, it looks like it went forward. He goes, he goes ask God to make that shadow go backwards. Now that's a big deal. Um, that's definitely a miracle. So God obliged them, and, and he sent it backwards. Um, again, you know, Jesus speaks of the Holy Spirit in John chapter 3. People are looking for signs. People are looking for something tangible. But in John chapter 3, when Jesus speaks about the Holy Spirit coming upon us, he basically 
tells a story that the Holy Spirit is not the wind, but it's, He's like the wind in that you can see the effects that the Holy Spirit uh, you know, has on people, but you can't see the Holy Spirit. Um, just like the trees, Jesus said. And we, on, a, on a windy day, we see the trees blowing back and forth. You don't see the wind touching it, moving it, but you do see the effects of the branches and the leaves and things like that. Uh, so sometimes it's just a matter of, of having faith and knowing, hey, this is, this is what's happening. God isn't going to always walk us through every single little thing, but in this case, he did. So the sundial goes back 10 degrees, um, and as the sundial goes back, Hezekiah gets 15 years added to his life. Now, I, if anybody wants a call out, remember there was another situation with a, a gentleman and and uh, it was the long day and remember it was he was winning trying to win that battle you guys remember that the long day of joshua right he was fighting that battle and it was the afternoon was coming and it just was a lot better to fight in the daytime so you could see what you're doing um and god gave joshua a longer day and again people do this how did god do it did he slow down the rotation of the earth did he um, change that he moved the sun, um, you know, all these kinds of things. Maybe it just was a miracle. No matter how God did it, sometimes he does it through natural means. When we talk about Jonah and the great fish, we can really intellectually speak about different species of creatures in the sea that could have done this and he wouldn't have been harmed. And I went through this in detail. Or it could have just been a miracle. So either way, it could have happened. But it, it was miraculous and the healing was miraculous. So we don't need to get dogmatic about it. In 2 Chronicles 32, again, it tells us more. 2 Chronicles, or the Chronicles, uh, speak about sort of the history, but more from a spiritual standpoint. What was going on spiritually? Well, 2 Chronicles 32 tells us that, again, about this, it's parallel scripture, that Hezekiah was healed, but he didn't respond properly to the miracle. He sort of went back to his old ways, and he went back to his pride. We're not exactly told all the things he did in his pride, but uh, he had to repent again. And, you know, Hezekiah was a work in progress. You know, some people, they get saved and, and they, you know, we all sin, they, they, but they kind of keep trekking forwards and others, they keep backsliding. Um, and it's, it's a funny thing because the Bible says that Hezekiah was a good man. So I think what it tells us is that we can't judge people based on their, their actions or their works. You know, God knows the heart and that's why we can't judge the heart. So we'll talk about some of the good things and some of the bad things. Uh, it's not, not much to this chapter. Verse 12, it says, At that time, Baradoc, Baladan, the son of Baladan, king of Babylon, this is way before Nebuchadnezzar, sent letters and a present to Hezekiah. How nice. For he had heard that Hezekiah had been sick. And Hezekiah was attentive to them and showed them all the house of his treasures, the silver and gold, the spices and precious ointment, and all his armory, all that was found among his treasures, there was nothing in his house or in all of his dominion that Hezekiah did not show them. So three, Judah's wealth is exposed to Babylon. You know, Hezekiah recovers and the Babylonians send him roses and chocolate. Well, not exactly, but um, unfortunately they did send gifts and they weren't good people. And honestly, it seemed like flattery disguised uh, and I'll talk about the history, and I'll talk about what happened. And honestly, the Babylonians were not God-fearing people. Their big concern was they hated Assyria like everybody else, and they were looking for people to be aligned with them. So maybe they feigned checking on Hezekiah, or they heard some things, and that was a, 
a focal point where they could actually come over there and say, hey, by the way, you hate Assyria too, don't you? Oh, yeah, they're, they're pretty miserable. Hey, how about we get together? You know, did this with the Egyptians. They, they, Babylon's tried to do this with Judah. Um, and and I kind of feel like uh, Hezekiah was flattered into a trap. Has that ever happened to you? If you live long enough, I can tell you it's happened to me. You know, someone's singing your song and singing your song, and then they, they, they kind of soften you up for what they really want to say to you. Um, Alistair Begg has the best <laughs> description of flattery and how we should respond to it. He says, flattery, I can't do his accent. It's a great accent, though. He goes, flattery is like perfume. He goes, it's meant to be sniffed, not to drink it. Right? So uh, he just was talking about pride and flattery. And they, and they kind of go together because, you know, Hezekiah struggles with pride. And flattery can bring out the pride in a person. Uh, it's like a, like a Trojan horse, you know. It's, it's like a bait. Uh, flattery can cause a pastor to compromise God's word. I'll give you an example. If I was that type of person, um, if people came to me and said, hey, 99% of the time you do such a wonderful job, I feel so uplifted, but why do you have to talk about judgment? Why do you have to talk about sin? And and you can see how like these conversations to a pastor can cause him to compromise God's word. Well, I'm at 99%. I'd like to be at 100%. That would be really neat. It's pride. And was brought on how? By flattery. You know, some, some of these guys started out preaching the solid word of God. And maybe their congregations grew to two, three, four times its size. And the flattery got to them and the pride got to them. And they've all of a sudden become soft on God's word. So it's something to watch. You know, Hezekiah brings Babylon way too far into his home. I'll say that in quotes. Judah, Jerusalem, the palace, that's his home. He's bringing these, this pagan envoy into his place and uh, you know what? They never forgot that treasure. Now, it doesn't say this in the Scripture, but I'll bet that they went back and said, you know, maybe one day when we're on top, you should see what's in Jerusalem. You should see all the stuff Hezekiah showed me. Let's make a mental note out of this one. Well, about 100 years later, Nebuchadnezzar comes, and he really wants to get into Jerusalem. I wonder why that is. Because every government, every national power keeps records i know what's over there you know what i'm saying i, I got to get in there and i gotta tell you christians too you have to be careful um, not to share too much with those that are not like-minded because sometimes it can bite us later you know it could be a trojan horse it's a picture of saying too much and bragging too much uh, it's very unbecoming of a believer and it's very worldly behavior um you know, I know on social media, sometimes people, they show too much and they share too much. And it's, uh, it's, just, it's just a problem. It can, it can hurt us. A better approach with these guys would have been to share about the living God. Hey, forget about the treasures. Let me tell you about my God. Let me tell you what he promised me. You know, these Assyrians, they're, they're coming up and boy, they're really close. But I, I'm, I'm pretty sure because I know my God that that he's going to take care of this. You know, this is going to go well for us. And you, you, you watch. When, he, when all of a sudden Jerusalem is spared, you watch. Mark my words, because that's the God that I know. Didn't say that, didn't do that. Hey, look at my treasures. So, verse 14. Verse 14, it says, 
Then Isaiah the prophet went to King Hezekiah and said to him, What did these men say? (laughs) And from where did they come to you? I believe he already knew the answer. It's like a parent, you know. What did you, what did you do? You already know. But you want to see if your kid's going to tell you the truth. And Hezekiah said, they came from a far country, from Babylon. And he said, what have they seen in your house? So Hezekiah answered, well, they, they have seen all that is in my house. There is nothing among my treasures that I have not shown them. And Isaiah said to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and what your fathers have accumulated until this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And they shall take away some of your sons who will descend from you, whom you will beget, and they shall be eunuchs in the place of the king of Babylon. Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, The word of the Lord which you have spoken is good. For he said, Will there not be peace and truth at least in my days? Now, people can take that different way. I'm going to tell you how I've taken it. But four out of five five is the Babylonian exile is prophesied. Um, You know, could God have brainwashed the men when they went back to Babylon? Sure. Um, Is God going to do a miracle every time we do something dumb? No. Sometimes we have to live with our foolish decisions. Hezekiah was, for the most part, a godly man, but it shows that good men and good women can do stupid things and ungodly things. And Isaiah um, prophesies the siege of 605 B.C. all the way to 586 B.C., took Nebuchadnezzar um, almost 20 years to finally get into Jerusalem. And when he did, he was good and angry. And uh, he made a mess of the place and took all that gold, stripped it from the temple. He made a mess of the place and uh, brought everything back to Babylon, including kids. So, verse 19. And again, uh, people take this different way, but Hezekiah says, will there not be peace and truth at least in my days? I take that as him being selfish. So you agree. Rose definitely agrees. Um, And again, I like to read commentaries. I I formulate my opinion. I pray. And then, you know, somebody said, made some very, very difficult and convoluted reason for what he, I I think he just was being selfish. Like, well, what about me? You know, am I going to be okay? Um, I I just look at that as selfish. I mean, you want your kids, grandkids, great, great, great grandkids. you, You want them to do well. You know, you hope that some of the foundations in life that you lay or that I lay, the, our legacy, that it blesses them over the years. Um, but, you know, he just, he had his moments. And again, it wasn't just material wealth. It was people that were going to be taken as slaves and, and servitude for the pagan nobility. Um, he didn't check with God. He just did something out of the flesh, out of pride. And uh, he succumbed to flattery. Verse 20, now the rest of the acts of Hezekiah, all his might, and how he made a pool and a tunnel, and brought water into the city. Are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? So Hezekiah rested with his fathers. Then Manasseh, his son, reigned in his place. So five out of five is the legacy and ultimate death of King Hezekiah. He did a lot of good things. If we can put up the image of Hezekiah's tunnel. I do this for Claire. She said you'd never get me in that place. I'm not really good with tight, tight spaces either. But this was an incredible, look at that guy. <laughs> this is an incredible feat of engineering before engineering was engineering. So uh, incredible, brilliant, um, foresight, visionary, because he knew that there's going to be times where there's going to be forces greater than ours. We can't fight them all off. They're going to be outside the city. 
and I, I got to keep the people inside from, star uh, from dying of thirst. So he devised an underground plan to get sp these springs into the city. And in Jesus' day, they were still there. It's pretty cool. Uh, and I went through this in detail in a, in a prior message, so I'm not going to go over that. But So that's one thing he did. Two, he destroyed the bronze serpent that people were worshiping, that Moses lifted up. And that was amazing, relics. And a lot of religion has relics. You know, the, the piece of the cross. Let me tell you something. These people who sell on the piece of the cross... It ain't the piece of the cross, you know. They sold so many tons of that piece of the cross, and they're making a fortune. The cross would have had to have been from here five miles in the sky, you know. Uh, somebody's bones, um, you know, all these relics, religious relics. And you know what Hezekiah did? He said, Nehushtan, it's a thing of brass, and he broke it. And he, and he destroyed it because the people were worshiping that stupid object Instead of, that's where God draws the line. I mean, he's good with objects of faith and helping us along, but when he says, don't make graven images. He do, don't make a picture, a statue, a painting, or, you know, an item. Don't worship that in place of me. He gets very offended by that. So Hezekiah took all those years from Moses to this one king to say, I'm, I'm busting that thing up. I'm breaking it up. And he did. Uh, he also instituted reforms. He, you know, he instituted the feasts. He reinstituted them. And what did he do? He invited the, apostate, the apostates from northern Israel. Come, join the feast with us. And a lot of them did. That was pretty uh, magnanimous of him, I would say. For he truly repented for his sins. And the Bible speaks of him as one of the godly kings of Judah. But interspersed with this is what I would call flare-ups of pride that cause bad judgment. Remember, I mean, as we're, this is amazing. I love the fact that we are in a probably a six-month period where our Wednesday night in Second Kings is paralleling the book of Isaiah on Sunday. I didn't plan it like that. I couldn't have planned it like that. But it's really neat because we're really learning a lot when we, hit, when we see both of these books from different uh, angles. Uh, but what did he do? I would say in a moment of fear, he paid off the Assyrians the first time. He gave them hush money, go away money. Please don't hurt us, you know. And he unfortunately took some of the gold from the temple and said, oh, let's just send it there. Maybe they'll leave us alone instead of trusting God. Um, mm -hmm. Later on, his, his faith grew and his courage grew, and he said, that's it, no more. Um, not doing that again. What did he also do? He, uh, he showed Babylon Jerusalem's wealth, which set the stage for a horrible invasion by Nebuchadnezzar. So again, that leaves us with a question. What determines who's good and who's bad. And that's why Jesus says, don't judge. Because I can't figure it out. And even if I tried it, I'm a human being making worldly judgments when God knows the heart. I don't. So that's why he says, don't judge. I can't say who's saved and who's not saved. You know, it's the heart that nobody can see except for God. Right? The will, the emotions, and the intellect. Hezekiah did sinful things at times, as we all do. But his heart, his heart was for God. He was a man of faith in God. You know, King David did some things that were big on the, you know, the first few commandments that you're not supposed to do people to people. He, he ding, 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 he hit a few of them. Uh, but he repented and, and his heart was for God. So in the New Testament, it's a little bit different. Different standard, didn't, different uh, litmus test is we don't trust, well, first of all, even in the Old Testament, you, as you could see, you, you can't trust in their works. You can't figure it out by their works. In the New Testament, that continues. We're not saved by our works. 
We're saved by grace through faith. It's the gift of God, lest anyone should boast. So the standard is Jesus Christ. So I like having this cross here because that's the standard, what Jesus did on the cross, that finished work. We believe in that. We trust in that. And even in the Old Testament, they had faith like Abraham. It was credited to him for righteousness. He believed in God. He believed that the Messiah would come. Moses believed that the Messiah would come. They all believed this. It was fuzzy to them. The, 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 the prophets believed. Um, and then it all made sense when it happened. But even Christ paid retrospectively. That's a, that's, where does that happen? That's like amazing. So when Christ died, <laughs> all those people that were in, in that one good compartment of that holding tank, you know, in death, um, they went to be freed and they went to be with God. But Jesus had to die for their sins first. So that is the standard. Um, that's why we can read the Bible and we can get confused sometimes because we look at instances where somebody really messes up. But hey, maybe somebody could look at our life in an instant where really we really messed up. Uh, isn't it great that humans don't judge us? Oh, that would be a terrible thing. I'd be scared. I'd be scared of that. I'd rather God judge me because he knows my heart. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.